Amen. All right. Well, you guys can have a seat. So good to see all your smiling faces. Look at you. So good. You guys are awesome. Some of you got all cleaned up, put your best outfits on, came to church. Some of you didn't. It's okay. Still glad you're here. And Come on. <laughs> well, you know, guys, we are continuing a series called Monsters in the Closet. And um, it was kind of fun. I met a guy that was here last service that literally uh, tuned in to one of our online experiences and saw last week's message uh, in this particular series on control and uh, somehow he watched it and he was like you know I got to go check that thing out so he came in person and uh, and I was just talking to him which I was I was excited about because anytime you talk about control in the church you know that's usually one that people try to miss you know what I mean they're like ah you know and uh, so part of the reason I haven't let the cat out of the bag in terms of each particular message uh, I just don't want people to pick and choose which one they're coming to you know what I'm saying because like they might pick the one that they actually need to hear you, uh, is that yeah is that okay all right and so so uh, we're gonna jump in today into this series and I'm really excited about this particular topic that we'll get to in just a moment um, but I wanted to start here with what we might call our series verses and so I want to read these to you. It's in, it's in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 through 4. And we've been kind of using this particular passage of Scripture to guide our thoughts in this series in general. But I want to read it to you here, starting in verse 3. Listen to these words. Then he said, this is Jesus. Jesus is speaking. I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven verse 4 watch this so anyone who becomes as humble say humble, humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven now that's pretty important Jesus has, has literally has picked this kid out of the crowd and had him come sit on his lap and he's like using him as an object lesson and he's saying hey like this little one like this little one, I'm, I'm saying to you, I'm making a comparison and a contrast for you to see that there's something about this little child that's different, that, that there's a humility. You know what I'm talking about? Like when a kid is young, there's like this wonder and this humility. They haven't been kind of uh, affected, right, by the world. And he's saying, look, I need you to see this. And what he's saying to us is like, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven that I'm talking about, then you have to posture yourself in a particular position to be able to receive those kinds of promises. And what he says is that humility is the thing that unlocks the door. Like humility is the starting point. Like, in other words, there's a need that I have for God. And if I live in this world and, rec and don't ever think or recognize that I have a need for God, then there's a problem. What can happen is I can just simply start to think it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. It's about, you know, what happens. You get it, right? And if we don't live humbly, what can happen is that will lead us down a path that isn't God's best for us. And so this series is all about pressing into this idea that Jesus very clearly says in John 10, 10, that he wants us to have an abundant life. That's what he says. Amen. Everybody in here, if I said, you want an abundant life? You're like, yep, love it. Let's do that. I want that in my life. 
But in order to get it, sometimes we're not willing. Here's the other thought. Jesus is not a liar. Fair? I don't think he's a liar. And if Jesus says that he's going to do something or he wants to do something like give us abundant life and we're not currently experiencing abundant life, come on, use your brain, then what that says is that there's something wrong with me, not something wrong with God. And so I have to look at this because I just want to submit to you today that there are certain things promises of God, certain abundance that God wants to bring into your life that will not come to pass unless you give it some effort. It requires something from you. That in order to experience the abundant life, because Jesus' promises are true, if I'm not experiencing it, then something's going on with me. And so what we have to do is begin to examine and comb over our lives. And that's what this series is about in some ways is that we're kind of saying, you know what? We all got stuff, right? Come on. We all have stuff in our life. Some people might call it issues. You all got issues, right? That's the safe word, issues. You know what I mean? You guys got that. Or it's like, you know, when you say, that's interesting. (laughs) What you really mean is that's awful or something. You're like, you're just not saying it. You're just being nice. You're like, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so... what was I saying? I know was... <laughs> issues. You got issues. There it is. I was like, well, I went off on interesting. <laughs> but we've been talking about how in our personalities, God wired us, designed us, made us special. That's what the Bible says. He, he, he crafted us. And so your personality is not necessarily a problem. Your personality is a gift from God. But isn't it true that sometimes there's a dark side to our personality? There might be some monsters in the closet as it relates to your personality. It's the part of your personality that maybe hijacks the very thing that you're trying to receive. You know, your personality is the thing that leads to success, but it's also the thing that undercuts it all at the same time. And so so my point is, is that we have to examine that monster in the closet. We have to wrestle that thing all the way to the ground because if we don't, it will hijack the abundance that God wants to bring us through our personalities. And if we're not careful, it will do that. And my heart for you is that that wouldn't happen. And so what are these monsters? I'll just define them so that we're all clear. It's the dysfunctional aspects of our personalities that can hijack the life of abundance that Jesus wants to bring us. The dysfunctional. You're saying I'm dysfunctional? Yes, We're all dysfunctional. That's why we need Jesus. Let's just get on the same team here. But more specifically, it's our inner urges, our compulsions, our motivations, our dysfunctions that drive us towards success or undermine our accomplishments. That's what the monster is. And I don't know what yours is, but I I suspect as I talk a little bit, if this one's your monster, then you'll start to hear it. You'll start to see it. You'll be like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like last week when I talked about control, everybody in the room's like, yes, yes. (laughs) Some of you are like, no, I don't do that. I don't control anybody. All right. But in order to have healing in our lives, in order to see this monster dealt with, it starts with humility. Humility. 
because humility is the thing that leads us to healing. And when we try to control things and realize, like, I think sometimes we're so busy controlling things that we literally start to forget that God actually holds the world. Have you ever felt like you're carrying the weight of the world? Friend, you're not designed to carry the weight of the world. It will ruin you. It will. And so part of that is learning to release that unto the Lord and recognize that, yes, there are some things that you need to discipline yourself about and all those kinds of things. But if literally you're carrying the whole weight, friend, you're in trouble. And so we talked about that a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And and today I want to zero in on one in particular. I want to deal with the monster of narcissism. Whoa, narcissism. What is that? All right, we'll talk about that in just a second. I wanted to share a word with you that I suspect you're familiar with. Um, The word is selfie. You guys ever heard of a selfie? Yes? Yeah. You know, selfie is a word that, that hasn't existed in space and time forever. You know, it wasn't like the cavemen. You know, they weren't like putting that on the, the clay walls. You know, they weren't doing that. But selfie showed up at a particular time in history. And if you look at the etymology of it, you'll, you'll be able to discover generally where it started. It was the Australians that did it. Did you know that? <laughs> According to Wikipedia, the Australians are the ones that gave us this word, right? And uh, so there was this guy, uh, his name was Nate. Interesting. His name was Nate. And uh, he was on a particular blog and, uh, in Australia somewhere. And he was writing on this blog uh, back in 2002. And he had just um, taken on, uh, how do you say it? Uh, when I was growing up, it was like he, he had just went on a bender. <laughs> What's the current phrase for that? He got lit. He got lit. <laughs> so he was out with his mates. That's how he said it. Right? He's Australian. I was out with my mates. That's... And they had been drinking a lot. And uh, apparently he tripped and fell. And when he tripped and fell, he hit his face on the second step and when that happened it cut his lip and so you know like a gash in his lip and uh and so he decided to write about this on the blog but he also took a picture of it and so this is what he says and i quote sorry about the focus it was a selfie so back in 2002 the word selfie showed up in the world now, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it sounds pretty good. But Nate apparently coined the phrase selfie, but he even went on to say that, you know, it wasn't him. They've been saying that in Australia for a long time. He just happened to use the phrase and then it, you know, took the world by storm, literally, right? Come on. <laughs> Selfies are everywhere, right? Like, I mean, literally, if you look this up, 93 million 93 million selfies were taken worldwide in one day. 93 million! Can you believe that? That's insane! That's, a, that's one day! Lots of selfies going on. Matter of fact, uh, some indicate that, that the average person in, in one year takes 450 selfies of themselves. If you're on this planet... 
and you don't know what a selfie is. A selfie is a digital picture of yourself <laughs> that gets loaded onto, right? Gets loaded onto blogs and Instas and Facebookies and, and Twisters and Twitter, 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 you know, the whole thing. And you boomers out there are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Only 4% of boomers do any selfie. 24% of us Xers represent, 24% of Xers do it. And you millennials, oh my Lord, 55%. And so if you're beyond a millennial, I'm pretty sure that you're like in a whole nother category of selfie land, right? And you're like, hmm, all right. Now, what am I doing? What am I talking about? I don't know about you, but there seems to be a focus on self happening in our world. That in 2002, and then smartphones, and then all of a sudden you can do it here and do it instantly. And look, I'm not picking on you because I do a little that. I selfie it up a little bit. I sometimes, I do. I like to make funny faces and take pictures of my funny faces and send them to people. I don't know, do anybody else do that? I, I send funny, you know, but I'm an extra, so I'm 24%, you know, so I, I have a tendency. I have a tendency. You know, 34, I mean, 75% uh, of me doesn't do it, but 24% does. <laughs> you see the point. See, there's something about these selfies that I think should cause us to wonder just a little, you know, that we'd just be a little curious about selfies. Because I think, matter of fact, listen to this, in 2013 is when selfie got put in the Oxford English Dictionary. So November of 2013, it got put in the dictionary. That's a pretty big deal. And matter of fact, that year, it was the word of the year. Selfie. And when I think about that, and I think about the words of Jesus and how he doesn't want us to be focused on ourselves, I just think we should be interested in that. That we should find that curious. That, 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 should, that should draw us in a little bit because maybe, just maybe, there's a side of us that's gone rogue. Like we've taken something good and turned it into something bad. Did you know humanity is good at that? Like we take all kinds of good gifts of God and turn them into horrible things. We do it all the time. And so, so what I want to do for just a little bit is talk about this, this monster of narcissism. Because I think if we don't get a handle on this, if we don't get a handle on this monster, this shadow side of our lives, it will consume us. Matter of fact, a focus, listen to this, a focus, and this is the big idea, a focus on me and mine will lead me on a path away from God and others. Do you hear that? A focus on me and mine will lead me on a path away from God and others. And isn't it true that the Bible says that my path should be towards God and others? I mean, right? Like, what are the two greatest commandments that Jesus says? I should love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and I should love people as myself. Yes, and so if that's true, then if I'm on a path that leads me away from that, then friends, I've got to look at that, don't I? I've got to be kind of interested in that reality 
Because if I don't, then that means I'm on a path that ends up in the wrong destination. It's the principle of the path. If you're on the road, you will eventually end up in the place. And so we have to examine this really good because if we don't, the abundance that God wants to give us will be taken from us because that's what the enemy does, right? Same verse, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It contrasts the abundance that Jesus wants to bring. And sometimes I've found that my personality can be a part of the problem. I know it's just me. I know none of you have this issue. None of you are self-focused at all. You're all just very caring and giving and self-sacrificing. And, and it's just it's a beautiful. You are a testimony to me. Thank you. Thank you very much. In ancient Greek mythology, have you ever heard of Narcissus? I, I always say that a little because he has so many. There's so many S's in it. You're like Narcissus. But in Greek mythology, there was a story about this boy. His name was Narcissus or Narcissus, right? And uh, he was, you know, this is how he's described. He was a beautiful boy. So beautiful, the fable has it, that his face, listen to this, appeared to be chiseled from the most perfect marble. Goes on. And his neck looked as smooth as unblemished ivory. Sounds like me, doesn't it? Look at my neck. It's as smooth as ivory. <laughs> so because of his beauty, listen to this, because of his beauty, he would have peers come to him and say, hey, we love you. You're so beautiful, right? They would reach out to him and extend their love to this boy. But he was not interested in any of them. He wasn't interested at all in any of them because he had found his love a little closer to home, if you know what I mean. He had found something else to love. Matter of fact, at age 16, the, the story goes, he grew up a little bit at age 16, he was walking along the river Styx, which I always wondered if that's where they, the band got their name. Some of you older people in the room, you're like, Styx, yeah. The river Styx, and he approached it, and what was, there was, it was basically a calm pool of water, and he wanted to get a drink. And so he, he, he bends down, and as he bends down over this pool of water, he becomes transfixed on his image. And he, 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 he begins to, to look at it. And he, and he can't take his eyes off of it. And, and, and the matter of fact, the story goes on to say that he could not love anyone or anything other than himself. He was so focused. Now, again, this is a myth. This is mythology. This is Greek mythology. But, but, but it goes on and says, as the story goes, Narcissus eventually could not bear to leave his reflection in the pool. He laid down by the pool and pined for himself until he was finally, listen to this, until he was finally absorbed into the earth and became a flower. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like this mythology, you're like, oh, that's beautiful. I love that. 
you know, and he became a flower. Well, as mythological stories go, the flower is something that exists in reality. And so there's a flower that's called the Narcissus flower. And, uh, and, and, and so this particular flower you can find along rivers and ponds and, and you can see it and it's glimmering there in the reflection. And, and matter of fact, I have a picture of it. I could show you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the flower. That's actually the flower. And so that little, I mean, it's beautiful. You look at the flower, you're like, that's beautiful. And the flower is apparently looking at itself in the pool, thinking it's beautiful. Right? They're like, I am beautiful. And then, and then I have a picture of him in an art rendering. And so this is Narcissus, and he's, he's, he's leaning down over the pool. You see him? And he's like, wow, I'm, I'm beautiful. Look at me. Look how beautiful I am. He's transfixed on himself. And, and what they're saying is that he's so focused on himself that he can't give or receive love from anyone else. That's a scary place to be. That's where we get the definition of narcissism. Some of us who are kind of like Wikipedia uh, what's the word? Yeah, you know, like people who learn stuff and then think they're uh, experts. Anybody do that? Like you read like, you know, WebMD and you're like, I'm a doctor. <laughs> you read like psychology today and you're like, I must be able to diagnose everyone's problems in here. You're a narcissist. You're a narcissist. You're a narcissist, right? Like that's, that's kind of where it goes. Well, just so you know, narcissism is not just like your average run-of-the-mill kind of selfishness. It's not just like, you know, it's not just pride kind of gone a little off, you know. No, no. It is a focus on self that has an inability to give and receive love from other people. And the scary part about narcissism is that it has an inability to metastasize shame. And that may sound like really fancy words. But what that means is if somebody comes to you and says you have a problem, you're unable to receive that because you can't actually absorb it. Because you're so focused on yourself. Scary, isn't it? We see that in leaders. We see that in people. We might even see it in ourselves. But it's a very dangerous thing because it puts us on a path away from God and others. It doesn't allow us to embrace and experience all that God wants. And matter of fact, as we talk about selfies, there's a part of me that as I thought about narcissists and I thought about selfies, I had this bright idea that maybe it kind of looks like this. <laughs> Doesn't it? You're like, hmm, interesting. Because, well... And you're like, Pastor, I don't take that many. Okay, fine. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, if you're at the 500 level, you might have a problem. You know, if you're maybe down in the 250s, maybe you're just teetering. I don't know. I'd be interested for you to take your phone out. And uh, well, I want you to have you do. But go home today and like scroll and just see how many you got. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying you're bad if you take selfies. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying we need to be aware that the human 
tendency is to do things opposite of God's plan. And we can take things that are good and turn them into things that aren't. And it can happen because of our personalities, because we have a self-focus, and that can then lead to this place that can be really bad. You know what I'm saying? So, so what I do for the remainder of our time is focus in a little bit on a particular person in the Bible. His name is Solomon. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Solomon. He's kind of a big deal. And so if, if you've read any of the Old Testament, he's in there. Matter of fact, he's the son of King David. Uh, you've maybe heard about King David. He was basically probably the most famous of kings. He, he was the one that ushered in the kingdom of God in Israel that had never been seen before. He was a warrior king. He was, he was strong. He was attractive. You know, I mean, he had everything going for him. He was rich and had the ladies and, you know, the whole thing. Like, he was a big deal. And so if you talk about King David, he's a big deal, okay? Well, he was King David's son. Now, the interesting thing about Solomon is that he takes, he, he takes the kingdom and he goes well beyond his father's success. I mean, well beyond his father's success. And so what I want to do, and, and again, I'm not saying that this, what I'm about to say is just like hard fact truth. Some of it is speculation. Some of it is me uh, kind of psychoanalyzing a character in the Bible. Now, I just want you to know that up front because I'm not trying to say he had these things. I'm just simply saying that it's possible that he had some struggles as it relates to his growing up years or things that he experienced, okay? First and foremost, he followed in David's footsteps. Can you imagine following David? Like, have you ever seen that in, in history where a CEO or somebody, a king, or, you know, like, and they think they're going to, like, I'm going to follow the great one. You're like, no, I'm good. Like, I've learned, like, if there's a great one, always let someone else go first and come, come after them. Because that second one's getting it. Like, it just, it's, it's almost true, you know, like, it, and so, so Solomon was following after, and David was a legend. I mean, he was a legend. People loved him. And so to follow in those footsteps, I don't know about you, that is a tall order. Can you imagine the pressure you would feel to follow in that man's footsteps? I, I just can't. I mean, it's, it's pretty intense. The other thing we know about Solomon is he came, to the, he came to the throne very young. Matter of fact, his daddy even told people that he was young. And, and look, in, in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, the Bible says, The King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, to whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Come on up here, Solomon. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, geez. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> but but he, he was young and inexperienced. As a matter of fact, we know in the Bible that God comes to him and says, I'll give you something. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And he actually tells God, he says, I want wisdom. You know, I want wisdom. And can you imagine, like, a, let's say a, a teen or a young 20-something that's like, I can have anything in the world. God, give me wisdom. Like, I, like you're like, we got to graduate that kid. And that's what he did. And he went on to write some of the most important 
pieces of literature on wisdom that the entire world has seen. I mean, pretty significant stuff. But he was young and he was inexperienced, the Bible says. God gives him wisdom. That's important. Now, here's the other thing about him is he comes to the throne in kind of a weird way. Matter of fact, David's son, Adonja, was actually the one that took the throne first. But Nathan, who was uh, one of David's advisors, and Bathsheba came together. Remember Bathsheba? All right. David, <laughs> advisor Nathan and Bathsheba, they got together to make sure that Solomon was going to be on the throne. Now, David had already said that God had chosen his son to do that, but Adonja had basically said, no, I'm doing it because I'm the stronger brother. So he, he takes it. Now, they work on a plan to get him put on the throne. Get this. That's how Solomon comes in. Like, he literally is taking the throne from the elder son. Get that. Now, as you go through the story a little bit more, what you start to notice is that I wonder, at any point, does Solomon think, huh, what happened back in the old days, mom? Because see, Bathsheba was Solomon's mother. And if you remember, David and Bathsheba got together because David was on the porch when he should have been at war. Sees her, says, yeah, yeah, come on. Brings her up. They get together, have a baby. Baby dies. Solomon comes into that relationship and is, you know, Bathsheba's his mom. So can you imagine if there was ever a point in like in the kingdom or like in the halls of the throne rooms and all that stuff? Hey, that's Solomon. You know where he came from, don't you? Can you imagine how that might affect you? I just think about the pressure he was under. I think about like aspects of like how maybe like David was so great. You think he ever felt inferior? Because usually at the bottom of narcissism, is an inferiority complex. And so, so what's, what's, what's interesting about Solomon's life, and again, some of this is conjecture, I get it, but I, I wonder if he struggled with inferiority. I wonder if some of his drive to succeed his father on great and massive levels, that powerful drive came from that. And he grew this amazing kingdom, and he did amazing things, and he literally was cherished and people loved him and they thought he was the greatest thing on earth all over the known world at the time and he expanded Israel beyond anything that had ever been seen or ever after so after Solomon it all went that's what happened and so so here's the thing that I'm wondering as you look at this story is that is it possible that he had a weight on his shoulders that caused him to do some things that maybe he shouldn't have done. Cut some corners. You know what I'm talking about. You know how we cut corners. You know how we, we hear God's word and say, yes, that is important. And then we go and do something just the opposite. Come on. And so, so I want to read something to you. This is, this is actually the words of Solomon, and it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's writing this. And I want you to notice as I read it, the eyes and the me's. Come on. He says this in verse 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I undertook great projects. So he's describing to you. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees for them. 
I made reservoirs to water the groves of the flourishing trees. Now, look, rich people do this. Like, in other words, in that time in history, if you weren't wealthy, you couldn't have pulled this off because you had to figure out how to water them. And so it required water, aqueducts, all kinds of knowledge to make it happen. Okay. And so he goes on. He says, I've bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born into my house. I also owned uh, more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I, require, I, I uh, acquired male and female singers. And then look at this. And harems as well. The delights of a man's heart. Do you notice as we read that, that Solomon was focused on something. He was focused on himself. Like he was really focused on himself in that deal. Did you see what I did? It was pretty amazing. Check it out. (laughs) Yeah, you see that tree? I did that. Right? Like, I mean, that's. So, so, so here's the thing. Solomon appears to be feeling some satisfaction of all the things that he's done. And then listen to this. In Ecclesiastes 2, same verse, I mean, same chapter, a few verses down, 9 and 10. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And he's right. Like he's literally right. He's stating the obvious. True story. In all this wisdom, wait, 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 wait. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. We'll come back to that. Verse 10. I denied myself nothing. My eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labors. And this was the reward of all my toils. And he bows. He's like, thank you. I'm not sure why I did this. That's more of a girl bow, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm curtsying. Yeah, I'm not genuflecting. Too much of me and mine. Come on. Too much of me and mine will put me on a road away from God and others and ultimately steal the abundance that God wants to bring into my life. Do you know that people who have a narcissistic tendency, sometimes, most of the time, there are, let's just call them consequences to their greatness. You know what I'm talking about? There are consequences to the greatness that people achieve. And usually, the consequences are the people, the bodies behind you as you make yourself successful in the world. And I'm sure none of us have that going on in our lives. But if you look at Solomon's life, he did some things that absolutely caused harm, not help. So what were some of those things? The cost. Well, the first one is he taxed the people to the point of economic exhaustion. So in order to accomplish all of these projects, he had to tax the people so that he could keep doing the thing, right? The drive to get it done, to be great in the eyes of God. Oh, wait, in the eyes of myself. I don't know. 
right? The drive to be successful, to be greater than my dad, led to him exhausting the people that God had put him there to care for. That's important. The second thing, and this is the part I want to land on as we end, is he disregarded divine mandates in an effort to advance himself. This is the part of Solomon that we don't talk about. Like, seriously, like we read his stuff and it's like, this is good stuff. Matter of fact, the world thinks it's great stuff. Like you don't even have to be a believer and read Proverbs and it's gonna help you because it is full of wisdom, full of wisdom. So, so, so that's very true. But the thing that we have to see is that Solomon knew the word of God and yet chose to do things opposite of the word of God and yet still in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 9 says, in all this my wisdom stayed with me. That is not true, friends. I want to read something to you out of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is the law of God. Okay, first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. So this is the law of God. This is God laying it out. Here's the black and white. Take it, right? This is what he says. Solomon would have known this. Verse 16. Speaking directly to the king. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back the way that way again. Clear? It's like, don't get a lot of horses. Don't you go to Egypt and get them either. Verse 17, watch this. If you know anything about Solomon's life, here we go. Verse 17. He must not take, the king must not take many wives. Rut row. Do you see what it says? He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. If you know Solomon's story, he took many wives. Towards the end of his life, he had built many altars to foreign and false gods because of the women he had married brought them into the marriage and he allowed it. Then it says, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. <laughs> well, let's see. One, two, three. He didn't get any of those. Like he literally failed on three of the divine mandates that God had given a king. And when we reach for what's called the three G's, many people fall. When people reach for what? Glory, girls, and gold. It can ruin them. Now, I'm not saying if you're a girl, you're bad. I'm just saying guys are interested. And if you're a leader, these are the things that the Bible very clearly says to you. If you're a leader, you've got to make sure that you watch this. You've got to make sure. I mean, it's so bad. Like, literally, he has disregarded the law of God 
He has disregarded it to the point that he's even done, gone all the way back to Egypt to get some of his supplies. The very place that they were imprisoned as slaves to gain glory, to build Israel, the kingdom of heaven on earth. How often in our lives do we disregard the law of God in order to accomplish something that God is very easily can help us accomplish without us disregarding his law? And yet we do it. And why do we do it? Because there's a self-focused side of us. There's this inferiority sometimes that takes over. There's this drive for success and power to prove ourselves and to make ourselves something in this world to build our brand. God help us. I was talking to somebody this week about that. God is not interested in you building a brand. God is interested in you building his brand in Jesus' name. Come on. Is that fair? See, Solomon violated all of these. He violated every one of them. A blatant violation of them. And so here's what I have to say to us today. Too much me and my, come on. Too much me and my puts me on a path away from God and away from others. And so look, 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 you got to hear this. When image is everything, God and others become nothing. Selfies. Selah. That's a biblical word for just pause and think about it for a second. Selfies. Selah. When image is everything, God and others become nothing. That's a scary thought, isn't it? You're like, Pastor, are you going to say anything good or nice? I'm trying. I've tried to make it fun. But man, when you're doing like operation on the places in our hearts and our lives that, that destroy us, they can destroy us. They can destroy the people that we love. And if we're not willing to go into that closet and take that monster all the way down and let God to deal with it, we all are susceptible to allowing our successes to ruin us. And God doesn't want that. You know what God wants? He wants you to be successful. He wants you to experience the abundant life that he has for you. But he also wants you to finish well. And too many leaders today are not finishing well. Isn't it true? Do you see any girl's glory and gold taking anybody out today? For you women, girls, boys in gold, <laughs> guys, yeah, sorry, yeah, not boys, guys. This is what we're dealing with. And my heart for us today is that we would at least take some time to assess where we are. If I've got any of this in me, God, would you reveal any area of my life that is, so, that is self-focused? I may not be narcissistic. I may not be staring at myself in the pool yet. But friends, if we don't take an assessment, if we don't look at it and examine it, my fear in, in my life and in your life is that we would live unaware, maybe, of how our drive 
is harming ourselves, harming others. You see this in families all the time. Is that we'll, 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 we want to be successful. We want to be something. We want to be better. And we sacrifice the very things that we say are most important to us. Our marriages, our kids. And we do it all in the name of what? Success? Guess what, friends? You don't take that with you. You just don't. It all goes back in the box, as John Ortberg says. So may we be committed and tenacious to dealing with these things in our life. And so I just want to encourage you around this. Here's a few questions for you to consider as I close. Are you obsessed with how others feel about your performance? Do you find it difficult to receive criticism of any kind? Do you feel jealous of the successes and achievements of others? Do you find that your successes or failures reflect or have a reflection or direct bearing on your self-image or personal sense of worth? Now, again, this isn't scientific. It's just some questions. But it's worth pondering, isn't it? My heart for us is that we would just simply reject denial. We'd stop justifying it. Come on. How often do we justify? And, if, and to speak for Solomon, Solomon said there's three types of people in the world. There are foolish people, there are wise people, and there are evil people. And I know that your heart is to be wise. Foolish people blame and make excuses is what the Bible says. Wise people accept truth, knowledge, wisdom, and apply it. That's what it means to be wise. So today, as I share with you some truth, may you receive it, may you apply it, and may you look to God for help. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us and makes us better and stronger. And Jesus, 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 thank you for that. I want to pray for anybody in this room that say, you know what? I really have been struggling with this. I've been a little too consumed with myself. Maybe a lot consumed. Maybe you, you literally would say, I have harmed people that work for me, that live with me, that are in my orbit because I've let my drive for success get in the way. I want to pray for anybody in this room that maybe feels that. And I need to, I need to say something that I think I would like for you to receive. God says you're important. But you're not that important. And placing yourself under that idea and the care of a God that controls, a God that is over all things, a God that can bring his will to pass even without you. 
that God wants you to relax. He wants you to realize that he loves you very, very much. But he loves you so much that he wants you to love others and he wants you to love God. And so if you've been a little too self-focused or a lot self-focused, then, then, then let me pray for you. God, I pray for anybody in this room that would say that, that this has gotten the best of them. That this, this, this shadow side of them has gotten in the way of the abundance. I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus for a freedom for you. If you would simply confess with your mouth, God, I'm sorry. God, I need your help. Forgive me. Jesus, would you do the healing work now as this individual begins to humble themselves before you? Oh, God, would you do a work in their heart right now? Would you be close and imminent? Would God, would you, would you be like honey on their lips, Jesus, bringing healing? God, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, isn't it? It's your kindness. Thank you, God, for reaching into space and time right now for you. God loves you, and he's bringing you back. He's putting you on the road to abundance and getting you off the road of self. Jesus, thank you for that. I want to pray for anybody in this room that would say that as I talked this this whole concept this whole idea of a relationship with Jesus is foreign to you you know the Bible says that that Jesus came into this world to build a bridge for us not just not just give us abundance but to give us salvation and so what I want to do is I want to pray for anybody today that would say if, you'd, if literally if you left this place today, you would not know that you would spend eternity with God. I want to pray for you because the Bible says that if you will simply confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he will save you and set you free. And so if that's your desire to enter into that relationship, to say yes to this, I want to pray for you, church. We're all going to pray together. But if you're here specifically wanting to take that step, I want you to repeat these words. Church, let's, let's all pray together so no one feels alone. Say this after me. Heavenly Father, I ask your forgiveness would you be my Savior? I surrender my life to you. Will you be my Lord? I surrender myself. And I receive your spirit. Change me from the inside out. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate anybody that was making a decision today? I'm just so proud of you. Come on.